New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support. It is only through a change in human consciousness that the world will be transformed. The personal and the planetary are connected. As we expand our awareness of mind, body, psyche, and spirit, and bring that awareness actively into the world, so also will the world be changed. This is our quest as we explore new dimensions. Most of us spend an inordinate amount of energy avoiding uncertainty. The very idea of uncertainty can bring on paralyzing fear. Today we'll be exploring the power of not knowing with our guest, Estelle Frankel. She brings a very different view in coming face to face with the unknown, which is deeply affirming and filled with creative potential. Estelle Frankel is a practicing psychotherapist and spiritual advisor who blends depth psychology with the healing wisdom and spiritual practices of Kabbalah. She has taught Jewish studies in Israel and throughout the United States for over 40 years in both academic and religious settings and was ordained as a rabbinic pastor and spiritual guide by Rabbi Zalman Shachter Shalomi. She is the author of Sacred Therapy, Jewish Spiritual Teachings on Emotional Healing and Inner Wholeness, and The Wisdom of Not Knowing, Discovering a Life of Wonder by Embracing Uncertainty. Join us for the next hour as we explore how we might learn to live more gracefully with the unknown and the uncertain with our guest, Estelle Frankel. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. I'll be your host. Welcome to New Dimensions. Estelle, welcome. Thank you. I'd love to. I know that at some point in your life, you were more um, looking at uncertainty as, as a foe and something to be outsmarted. And then that shifted. So can you talk about those different phases in your life? Absolutely. Well, actually, I was very adventurous and courageous in my teens and early 20s. I hitchhiked all over the world and wasn't really afraid of the unknown. It was my friend and my muse. But something happened when I became a mother. This worrying gene kicked in and I'm sure it comes from watching my mother, who was a Holocaust survivor. Both my parents were Holocaust survivors. And I watched her anxiety about the unknown and how much she worried. And I guess I took that in and it kicked in when I became a mother. And I became an Olympic medal warrior, <laughs> so much so that my friends uh, nicknamed me the Mistress of Catastrophic Expectations. 
Like in any situation where there was uncertainty, I could imagine the worst possible case scenario. And we would all laugh when obviously the worst wouldn't happen. But there were things in my life where the worst had happened, and it reinforced that anxiety about the unknown. So just as all people have both thrusts, an adventurous desire, a curiosity to enter the unknown, as well as fear of the unknown and a clinging to certainty, I saw that I had both forces in me and that my fears were holding me back and just causing unnecessary suffering. I was wasting a lot of fuel worrying about things that never happened. So I just decided I would work on myself. I would study neuropsych. I would look at what the brain science could tell me about this pattern. And I set out to master it. I've gotten a lot better now when I'm anxious, when I'm facing an unknown and uncertain situation. I tell myself, Many possibilities can happen. The worst might happen, but it's more likely that it won't. And there are many, many options. So it's an ongoing thing. And I have to admit that since the election in 2016, I'm having a little bit of a relapse and I'm having to work on myself, but it's really helping me empathize with other people's fears and concerns about the current uncertainty. Oh, that's, uh, that's so good. It's, it's, I'm glad you brought that up because many people are in, in a, experiencing more anxiety than they have in years past. And so I, I, do, I do think that this is a wonderful subject to be talking about right now. And I know when you mention catastrophic expectations that we hold these, you have a, a particular... Um, practice that you do or that you mention in the book about uh, writing out? Do you, do you recall this, that, that practice of writing out? Right. When, when you get caught in catastrophic thinking, you can write that option down as one of many options from the best case scenario to the worst with all the gradations in between. And that's helpful to break out of um, a stuck pattern of worrying. And often things work out for the best. Even some of the very scary things happening today in the world, sometimes the bad is a catalyst for the good. So I try to see the possibilities of hopeful outcomes. So in in writing that out and writing out the extreme Mm -hmm. of it, we can look back at our lives and remember when we've had these terrible thoughts about, oh, what if this happened? And we're kind of stuck on that, this litany of, of right. terror, so to speak. And then we realize, oh, you know, that didn't happen. Mostly they, those things don't happen. True. Uh, mostly they don't happen. But wasting precious energy worrying about what might happen isn't really helpful. If the worst happens, you want to be relaxed and ready to respond to deal with it. So 
what I work with people on is giving up the worry part. Because it's not helpful. It's, it's not, not it's helpful. Not, it's not effective. Just the plain worry, it doesn't help you really deal with what's in front of you. Not at all. It just wastes precious fuel. It's like sitting at a stop sign with your foot on the gas. You're in park and you're just burning fuel. Right. You know, I remember a story that you were told about in the book of one of your clients, and um, uh, we'll call her Sarah. And she turned out to have uh, cancer. And one of the things that that you worked with her and she worked with Mm -hmm. is, all right, so here she has cancer, and this is this huge thing now facing her. And she gave some wonderful advice about, rather than worrying about this huge thing that she's facing, she she took it in bite-sized pieces. Can you talk about that? Well. Sarah taught me to focus on what is known rather than what is unknown, because the unknown, if you have cancer, can really freak you out. And there were many stages in the treatment she had to undergo. So she worked each day on what was known, what was right in front of her, just the next step. And that saw her through. She has recovered She's thriving, and, and, you know, she's celebrating her life again. Um, And, you know, that's a good metaphor, not just for dealing with cancer, but anytime we're going to step into the unknown, focusing on the next step and the next step is really helpful in giving us courage, because if we try to imagine the uh, end point we might frighten ourselves and not embark on the journey. Or feel overwhelmed by it. Right. And there's this beautiful poem by Antonio Machado where he says that, you know, wanderer, the, the road is made by walking, that we often don't see the path to where we're trying to go. It hasn't been created yet. And the path is made by walking. You take a step. A little bit of road is revealed. Take another step, more of the road is revealed. So that that's a very powerful uh, technique for developing courage vis-a-vis the unknown. I, I can think also about um, the idea of being fearful. And you put the, the words close to each other in the book, and it was the first time I really thought about it when I saw these two words kind of next to one another, faith and fear. Right. Well, what do we do with our fear? We can let fear stop us in our tracks, or we can move forward on faith. And faith means being able to walk in the dark. You can't really see the way. You need faith when you don't know the path. You know, it's faith is also part of all religious traditions, and religion is there to help people deal with the unknown, the great mystery. Um, though many uh, fundamentalist versions of faith traditions do the opposite. They try to create certainty and give us all the answers. 
But true faith is the ability to take that step into the unknown, in the darkness, and um, bring our hope and our best intentions. You know, that just reminds me, uh, you come from the Jewish faith, and it seems to me, from what I know about Judaism, um, it is a kind of faith that honors questions yes. rather than answers. I mean, in maybe not in every particular synagogue is, is that the case, but mostly that they're really good at asking questions. And right. here we are, we're doing this interview. We're right in the middle mm-hmm. of Passover in 2016. And, uh, and I thank you so much for coming to, uh, at this particular time, this very sacred time. And it, um, in, in the Passover, there is a celebration, the Seder, where you actually ask questions. Can you say something sure. about that, please? Well, Passover definitely is the holiday when we celebrate the journey into the unknown, leaving the known for the unknown. In, in the biblical tale of the Exodus that we recount on Passover, um, we remember that we were slaves and that leaving Egypt was an act of faith. It was an act of faith, and with that, we're going to just take a pause for a moment and continue this in just one moment. But I want to remind our listeners that I'm here with Estelle Frankel, and she is the author of The Wisdom of Not Knowing, Discovering a Life of Wonder by Embracing Uncertainty. And if you want to know more about her work, you can go to her website, estellefrankel.com. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms, and you're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Estelle Frankel. She's a spiritual advisor and teacher of Kabbalah and also the author of The Wisdom of Not Knowing, Discovering a Life of Wonder by Embracing Uncertainty. And we're talking about this particular special time of the year, the Passover, as as celebrated by the Jewish faith and you were just saying Estelle, it's the time that's acknowledging the exodus of the Jews from Egypt. Yes, and as terrible as life was in Egypt for the Jewish people, they were slaves in Egypt, 
People don't like to leave the known for the unknown. And after Moses leads them to freedom and they're wandering in the desert of unknowing, in the wilderness, they repeatedly want to go back to Egypt. They pine for the watermelon and uh, fish they had from the Nile rather than eating manna from heaven. So the entire Exodus journey and this myth we relive this time of year is about the journey into the unknown, the faith journey. And we celebrate on the Seder night, on the first night and second night of Passover, by asking questions. The Seder begins by opening the door of our homes to the hungry, to the needy, to the stranger. But when we open our homes, we're also inviting in the spirit of the unknown. Because what is a stranger? A stranger is someone you don't know, the bearer of uh, uncertainty. So we open our homes and we open our hearts and we open our minds to possibility. And that's the beginning of freedom. And we do it by asking questions. There's what's called the four questions. Usually the youngest child will ask the four questions, but the entire night, all present are encouraged to ask questions because questioning opens up the door to the unknown. What is really a question? A question is the beginning of a quest, of a journey beyond the boundaries of what you already know. A real question. You can ask a rhetorical question, of course, you already know the answer. But a real question is about opening up to possibilities, unknown. The word, as you mentioned, the word quest Mm -hmm. is within that word Mm -hmm questions. I I never thought about that before, but it is a journey that you're talking about. The the question will lead us, will take us on a path. Right. And in therapy, when I do therapy with people, I try to listen for the question that really is the reason they're coming to therapy. And I watch over time how people's questions evolve and change. So a question leads to new knowledge, to new discovery, and each new discovery opens up new questions. And so knowing and not knowing form this uh, intertwining, ascending spiral where consciousness expands. Being willing to not know, being willing to ask a question is being like a child, being innocent, being open to learning. And it, as we gain knowledge, we realize how much more we don't know. And as a therapist, I would say it's, in my opinion, it's sometimes hard to find a good match mm-hmm. for ourselves, to find a, a mm-hmm. therapist that, that's really going to be truly helpful to us. Because I, I think that there are many therapists that they... They have this set of how they're going to work. Not all therapists, for sure, but right. but they they have this certain school of thought, and this mm-hmm. is the way it all unfolds. And I know what you encourage in your writings 
is is a therapist really has to let go of everything they know about their mm-hmm. client uh, each time. And right. that's not easy, is it's it? It's not. And therapists bring their theoretical background and their ideas about uh, reality, and they impose that on their clients. And I learned from the work of a British psychoanalyst called Wilfred Bion the importance of not knowing for the therapist to be able to come in and listen and ask questions and not make assumptions and not use my theories to prematurely foreclose on what's going on, but to keep opening in each session to some mysterious unknown that will be revealed. It's well, real hard work. I, I, it, I, when I read that, I said, yes, this is not easy for any of us. And I can think of times in our lives when we come, there's a certain moment, maybe, uh, maybe we're a teenager and we just think we've got it all figured out. Mm-hmm. We, we've arrived. We know how it all works. And then we get a little bit older, and then we mm-hmm. think, no, maybe we don't know as much as we thought we knew. So say something about that, that whole journey of knowing and not knowing. Right. I think it's very humbling to admit that you don't know. And I, I do think it's true when we're young, we can have a certain hubris and think we know it all. And I certainly went through an obnoxious stage in my early 20s when I was living in Israel and I became Orthodox and I thought I had all the answers. I knew the truth. And then life humbled me and I really recognized that God and life and the soul are more mysterious and that the questions are more important than the answers. And yesterday's answer can't be today's answer. There has to be an ongoing pursuit of truth moment to moment. Um, so the unknown became my companion. And in this political climate right now, mm. that practice is uh, very difficult because many of us have strong opinions of how it all should unfold. And right. to stay in that not knowing is, is not an easy practice. No, and it, it's about not prematurely foreclosing on possibility, even vis-a-vis your enemy, even vis-a-vis what appears to be bad luck or b- bad things happening. We have to take the long view and see that life, life is mysterious, and sometimes the good, the holy, is revealed through... Um, mysterious ways. And I see today so much good awakening, like America is waking up in the midst of all these seemingly terrible things happening. So holding that hopefulness helps direct destiny also. It reminds me of a story that you repeat in your book, and and many Mm -hmm. of our listeners have heard this story, but I think it's worth repeating. Mm -hmm. And that's the story of the farmer Mm -hmm. who had good luck and bad luck. Can you tell us that story? 
Well, I love this story, and it, it, it appears in many cultures in different variations, but there was a farmer who had a beautiful white horse, and his neighbors come and tell him, oh, you're so lucky, you have just the most wonderful horse. And he says, yeah, could be good luck, could be bad luck, you never know. The next day, the horse runs away, disappears, and the neighbors come and say, oh, this is so terrible, such terrible luck. And the farmer says, well, could be bad luck, could be good luck, never know. The next day, the horse comes back with a beautiful white stallion, and the neighbors are overjoyed for him and say, oh, you're so lucky, you have two horses, he says. Could be good luck, could be bad luck, never know. The next day, his son is riding on that white stallion and gets thrown off it and breaks his leg. And the neighbors come and say, oh, we're so sorry, such terrible luck. And the farmer says, could be bad luck, but could be good luck, you never know. Well, wouldn't you know it, the next day, the authorities come to conscript every able-bodied young man to send to some stupid war. And every single young man in the village is killed in that war. And that's the upshot of the story, is that we never know that what appears as bad luck could be good luck. And the son was not conscripted. The son, exactly. The son couldn't be conscripted because of his injury, and he was the only young man in the village to survive. So the point of that story is what, would you say? Don't prematurely judge things. We need to have integrity about our own actions and choose uh, righteousness. But when seemingly bad things happen to you or in the world— um, you can wait and see what the ultimate outcome will be. And that openness to possibility helps you direct even the bad in the direction of the good. That, that reminds me of um, uh, something that you suggest that we keep, and you call it a curiosity journal. And I, I love this. And, and you, in this journal, you say to write down, to ask at least one good question a day. And, and the, you give some examples, and I love the examples of the questions that you give. You say, ask, where is this experience taking me? Mm -hmm. So however, whatever is happening where you want to go, uh-oh, this is really difficult or bad or whatever, you ask instead, where is this experience taking me? Or who might I become if I follow this path? Yes. Another great question. And the third one that you, what meaning can I derive from this experience? Right. So these are logotherapy and teleological approaches. Often people ask questions like, why me? Why did this happen? They're looking for causality and blame, and that is just a dead end. It's not helpful. Occasionally, it's helpful to look at the consequences of one's actions, that kind of looking back. But too much of the time, we ask the wrong kinds of questions. Teleological questions look forward into the future, to, towards our destiny. The things that happen to us are nudging us along on our destiny. 
even the bad luck. Some of the bad things that happened in my life have turned out to be amazing catalysts for growth and for becoming who I've become. So I wouldn't um, reject that bad luck that I had. I'm here with Estelle Frankel, and she's a spiritual advisor, a teacher of Kabbalah, and the author of The Wisdom of Not Knowing, Discovering Life and Discovering a Life of Wonder by Embracing Uncertainty. And if you want to know more about her work, you can go to her website, EstelleFrankel.com, or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, NewDimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Estelle Frankel, and she's a psychotherapist, spiritual advisor, teacher of Kabbalah, and the author of The Wisdom of Not Knowing. And Estelle, uh, you've used several poems throughout your book that are just, just so beautiful and wonderful, and there was one particular one that really captures the the, the question that we're living, and it's a poem that, that is has deep meaning for me. And it's a Rilke poem, The Tower. Can you first read the poem or recite the poem and then talk about it? Sure. I live my life in widening circles that reach out across the world. I may not complete this last one, but I give myself to it. I circle around God, around the primordial tower I've been circling for thousands of years, and I still don't know. Am I a falcon, a storm, or a great song? So I quoted this poem in the introduction because of the sense of the great mystery. The spiritual side of not knowing is our relationship with the great mystery with divinity, with the source of life. And what we know of ourselves and the cosmos is just a, it, it's just like a drop in the ocean of consciousness. But we circle this mystery, and by circling it, we admit that we never quite can know and master. And in that circling, we also become infinite. We go beyond our known finite selves, and grow into that mystery. I might be a falcon, a storm, a great song. I become part of all being. That's how I understand it. And uh, it just reminds me, too, of the idea of how God itself is unfolding with us 
And you you mm-hmm. talk about that in the book, and that's a, you know if we if we grow up in certain religions, everything is so set like this is the way it is, and we we we've got all the answers. Just and I've been there. I've been part of those different mm-hmm. religions where I was so glad to be told, oh, this is the way, the truth, and the light, and mm-hmm. I, now I don't have to think about it anymore because it's been worked mm-hmm. out for me. But as the mm-hmm. years have unfolded. My questions about that have just become more numerous and mm. deeper. And and now there is this point of even contemplating that God or whatever that divine force or source is, is also constantly unfolding. It's not a static thing. Right. That's the basis of process theology, the notion of God not being fixed, um, but a process. In Hebrew, the name of God, yud Hey vav Hey, these four Hebrew letters, suggests that God is a verb, that the word for God, yud Hey vav Hey, is a composite of three Hebrew words, haya, hove, yihia, was is, will be. So God is that uh, beingness that is becoming, that is unfolding as we co-evolve with God. I think this is a very beautiful uh, theology um, that if we shrink God into an idol to suit our own need for certainty, then we become small. But if we see God as an unfolding, becoming mystery that is vast and infinite, then we too, made in the divine image, are are reflections of that infinite mystery. So as much as I think I may know myself, again, I don't. I will never because I'm infinite too. I'm I'm reminded you, you... Uh, quote a famous um, Jewish philosopher or rabbi, and and he interprets the idea when Moses came down from the mountain. Mm-hmm. See if I'm remembering this correctly. Mm-hmm. He comes down from the mountain, and and God has shown him something, but it's interpreted as this was this moment in time. Right. Say right. something about that. Well, that's a Hasidic interpretation from the school known as Ishbitz, the Ishbitzer Rebbe. The Rebbe's were named by the village they came from. So Mordechai Lehner of Ishbitz was a radical process theologian before process theology existed. And he suggests that God's word to Moses on Mount Sinai when God says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, that that first word, anochi, is used rather than the more common word, ani, which means I. Anochi suggests I am not, um, this is provisional. I am becoming I'm something like this, anochi, the chaf, the extra Hebrew letter chaf means like this. I'm something like this. 
this is how you can know me right now as the Redeemer, but you'll, more will be revealed. Don't pin me down. I'm ungraspable. And there's also, he gives a beautiful teaching, the same Rebbe, about where Moses gets his rays of light. When he comes down from Mount Sinai the second time, his face is radiating light. And the rabbis ask, where did he get that light? How does he become illumined? And one of the rabbis says that when he received the tablets at Mount Sinai, God was holding on from one end, Moses was holding on from the other end, but the rays of light came from the space between, the ungrasped space, the place you can't put your finger on, the mystery, the ungraspable. That's where we get our light. It's what we don't know that illumines us, not what we know. Beautiful. Talking about space, um, I know that one of the chapters in your book is, is about silence. And in this day and time, mm. we uh, experience very, very little silence. And mm -hmm. what is the importance of silence in these mm. times? Mm. Well, again, the words are finite. Silence is infinite. And in silence, we receive what we don't know. While we're talking, we're often just regurgitating what we already know. When I drop into silence in my meditation practice, my soul is revived and I receive things that uh, I couldn't imagine with my mind. So words and silence are both revelatory in different ways. But we're clearly, as a society, we're out of balance with all, all of our devices, with emails, tweets, Facebook. There isn't enough white space. And white space is sacred. It's sacred for the creative process. It's sacred for the spiritual uh, journey. So you talk about also encourage us to do a word fast every every so often, what, once a week or once a month or whatever. Uh, what do you mean by word fast? Well, talking is beautiful. It's a way to connect. But to create more balance and more white space, you could take a day, a month to not be verbal, to be in a different part of the mind that's more spacious. And so not speaking and not reading, not trying to not overthink reality, but to be in the moment, in the sensuality of experience, puts us into the not knowing. Not knowing is also code for the non-dual state, for that way of being that's beyond this and that, beyond dualities. So... Silence is it's just sacred, and it's a precious commodity. And if we don't create space for ourselves, um, we're going to drown in our words. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. Uh, you know, one thing about the Jewish faith uh, that our Jewish practice, I'm so impressed with the way that 
the Jewish law lays out how we can be with those who are in mourning, who are in bereavement. Mm. And this goes back to the silence because we, we, we go in and we, we fill people up with our sympathy and our condolences. Mm. And, but but mm. the Jewish faith looks at it differently. Right. Can you t- say something about well, that? There's actually um, a custom that when you visit a mourner and you bring food, you come in, you sit down, and you're silent. You don't speak unless spoken to. So you want to hold the space for grief with your presence and being in silence. And often we mean well, but our platitudes are not really helpful. And sometimes grief doesn't have words. It's just this uh, wailing, (laughs) this crying. And so offering our hearts uh, as a place to rest and holding a space of silence doesn't diminish uh, the experience. Exactly. That's. I think it's that's so beautiful. And I'd love for you. To, there's also another uh, experience that you talk about that that offered you a mm-hmm. metaphor by which you live. And this was something offered from your brother, oh. who was a fanatical mountain bike racer. Do you, do you recall? Yeah, of uh, course. I, I, I just, it just, I loved what your brothers had to say. So yeah. please share that with us. Well, my brother was a fanatic biker, and um, I used to visit him and go hiking in the canyons. I don't bike, but I would hike in the canyons, and he'd be on his bike. And I saw him once going down a mountain through the canyons in Southern California where there were walls of stone on either side. And he was just going at breakneck speed. And I'm thinking he could easily crash. This is really scary. And I asked him afterward, aren't you afraid? And he said to me, and and this became a metaphor for, for my life. He said, I stay focused not on the obstacles, but on the open space. And if you don't keep awareness of the open space, you are at risk of crashing. And it has happened to me. He, told, he has crashed. He had multiple injuries, never gave up. And so I think looking for the opening and not the obstacles became an important metaphor. Thank you. I'm here with Estelle Frankel. She's a th- psychotherapist, spiritual advisor, teacher of Kabbalah, and the author of The Wisdom of Not Knowing, Discovering a Life of Wonder by Embracing Uncertainty. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions.
I'm here with Estelle Frankel. She's a psychotherapist, spiritual advisor, teacher of Kabbalah, and the author of The Wisdom of Not Knowing, Discovering a Life of Wonder by Embracing Uncertainty. And Estelle, I I know that all that we're talking about, uh, facing the unknown and taking responsibility for the choices that we're making in our lives, all of this is going to take some courage, and you mm-hmm. write about courage, and I'd love for you to share with us how we can step better into more courage in our lives. Mm-hmm. Well, sometimes we wish we had courage before we take action. Like, if only I had courage, I could do this. But we build our courage muscle through our consecutive steps into the unknown. By risking uncertainty, we build courage. So it's, it's sort of a reverse thing. We have to take risks. And um, courage doesn't mean that we're fearless. It means that we're willing to act despite our fear. When we do the things that frighten us, we become courageous. We strengthen our heart, which is the seat of courage. In Hebrew, the word for courage is ometz lev. And ometz can also be a verb, la'ametz, lehitametz. So we, we build our courage by risking. And, and what does uh, this have to do with imagination? How does uh, be acting courageous uh, mm. stimulate our imagination? Well, I think imagination is, is a piece of the, the entire fabric of not knowing that what do we do in face of the unknown? We use our imagination and often... Fear hijacks our imagination and will stop us in our tracks. Uh, we'll paint this frightening picture and, and then not want to venture. But imagination can also open us up to unknown possibilities and hope. So if we use our imagination in service of our courage, then it's helpful. Certainly. So we have to take control of our imagination. Those of us who, like myself, have a tendency to worry, it's because we're incredibly imaginative, we're just allowing our imagination to go in the wrong direction. So I'm, I'm thinking of a story that you shared. Um, I don't remember her name, but she was a doctor. And, uh, OBGYN. Right. And um, she ha- suffered from a certain debilitating illness and she could no longer practice and it turned her life around now here her yeah. she tell her story a yeah. bit yeah well dr laura statchel is a friend and a member of my jewish community and she's one of my courage teachers because she was a very successful obgyn with a huge practice and she developed a debilitating condition in her spine that prevented her from being able to do surgery and deliver babies. So she had to give up a very successful career and was living with terrible pain. And out of that tragedy, 
she didn't give up. She maintained hope and faith and took steps into the unknown. She went back to graduate school in public health. And when she was given the opportunity of a to go to Africa and do some work with one of her professors to help uh, women in Africa around their maternal needs, giving birth. Um, She saw that women were dying unnecessarily um, during childbirth because of a lack of power. Electricity would go out and then they couldn't perform vital procedures. Now, her husband happened to be a solar energy expert, and she called him and asked him if he could help. And he came up with the idea of creating a solar suitcase. And slowly, they built this amazing business that's saving hundreds of thousands of lives of women giving birth throughout the third world. And she was a CNN hero for the work or the two of them were CNN heroes for the work they're doing. His name is Hal. And um, they're just wonderful, extraordinary people and, and great teachers of courage. So it, it kind of goes back to that story of the farmer. And he says, good luck, bad luck. Uh, exactly. Well, you never know. So yeah. bad luck. She had this illness and Wow, mm-hmm. she couldn't do this work anymore, and now she has been affecting the lives of hundreds of thousands of people that she never would have with it, without having this turn of events. I, I'm thinking also of a, of another quote that that you use in the book that I just found delightful. This is a quote from. Um, Naomi Newman, and she says, oh, I, love this. I, I, I love this too, so I'm going to read it. Uh, Nothing natural or interesting goes in a straight line. As a matter of fact, it is the quickest way to the wrong place. And don't pretend you know where you're going, because if you know where you are going, that means you've been there, and you are going to end up exactly where you came from. Right. And I highly recommend listeners log on to YouTube and watch a video of Naomi Newman doing this as an actress on stage from Snake Talk, a play she produced. It's beautiful, it's hysterical, and uh, inspiring all at the same time. Isn't that wonderful? Thank you so much uh, for cluing us in on that, and I'll, I'll, I'll do it uh, this afternoon when I get back to my computer. I'll look it up. I, I just, that's wonderful. And, and it just, like, goes back to that, that habitual way that we just kind of go round and round in circles, and rather than mm-hmm. really taking the zigzag path of the unknown that mm-hmm. will lead us in surprising ways. Right. And what can you say also uh, in these last few minutes about relationship? I know that you have some thoughts on relationship, and mm-hmm. and it um, to be in the unknown with another, with a love relationship. Mm-hmm. What advice can you give us there? Well, everybody knows that in the beginning of falling in love, that the sense of mystery of not knowing the other creates a lot of passion. 
And passion tends to wane as we think we know it all. And, you know, we know our partners through and through. But truthfully, everybody is a living embodiment of an infinite mystery. And we never really know another at their core. People can surprise us. And it's important to um, remember that in marriage, in friendship. Otherwise, we start finishing each other's sentences in our heads. We already know what they're going to say, and we know what they're thinking. And we don't leave room for possibility for, for life to surprise us. So if we want to also keep romance alive, we want to keep the sense of mystery present in our marriages and relationships. And we just we want to honor the mystery in one another. So what you're saying is a mystery is there. It's always there. But we get blinded to habit. Habit. Through habit, we think we know what they're going to say. We think that uh, we don't even ask them questions because we assume we un understand. And so you're saying to what remain with a sense of curiosity toward your partner, kind of a freshness. You've got it. And that's the essence of beginner's mind in, in Buddhism. Um, and I'm sort of more of a Jewish Buddhist at heart. Beginner's mind means bringing that curiosity and freshness and sense of I don't really know um, to every moment, to every situation, to every relationship. I, re I remember when uh, my partner and I were together and one or the other of us would go off to some workshop. And that's when it became very apparent to us that, that we don't know each other because we understood that when that person, mm -hmm. when whichever partner arrived back home, the person coming home was not the same person that left. Right. And we, we developed some rituals that we would do in the helping each other to reacquaint ourselves mm -hmm. with the new person that just entered back into our lives. Well, that's wonderful. That's, that's a way to keep love alive. And every time we perceive the mystery in our partner, we fall in love again. That, that sense of romance comes back when we can rekindle the sense of mystery. And I know that uh, one of your teachers uh, uh, has said that we, we probably should renew our vows every seven years and right. really look again because we're remarrying a new person. Hopefully we're remarrying a new person because yes. if people don't change, then they're really stuck. Well, uh, Estelle, it's just been wonderful being with you today. Thank Likewise. you so much. Thank you. I've been speaking with Estelle Frankel. She's a psychotherapist, spiritual advisor, and teacher of Kabbalah. She is the author of several books. One is Sacred Therapy, Jewish Spiritual Teachers on Emotional Healing and Inner Wholeness, and also The Wisdom of Not Knowing, Discovering a Life of Wonder, by embracing uncertainty. And if you want to know more about her work, you can go to her website, estellefrankel.com, or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You've been listening to New Dimensions.
This is program number 3612. New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. You can also subscribe to our free weekly podcasts and find over a thousand hours of audio dialogues in our searchable archive. New Dimensions is produced by New Dimensions Radio in Santa Rosa, California, USA. Our executive producer is Justine Willis-Toms. Our post-production editor is Lou Judson. This program was recorded at Strawberry Hill Productions, a full-service podcast production studio in Novato, California. We sincerely thank all of you who have supported us by being members of Friends of New Dimensions, as well as members of our affiliate stations. My name is Dan Drayson. On behalf of everyone at New Dimensions, whose endeavors make this program possible, I'm wishing you well. New Dimensions Radio is an independent producer supported by listener contributions. To find out more about the program you've just heard, to subscribe to our free weekly newsletter and our New Dimensions and New Dimensions Cafe podcasts, and to access thousands of other programs in the New Dimensions archive, please visit our website, newdimensions.org. That's newdimensions.org. Or call us at 707-468-5215. That's 707-468-5215. Please join us next time as we explore New Dimensions.